Matt is now actively smoking that cigar. This is this is amazing. I love that we're doing this. And JD's got a Gothic cathedral as his background. We're we're oh, really off Ailey. the rails here. This Ailey Cathedral. <laughs> Thank you very much. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, here as usual with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of Christ Anglican Church in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. How are you guys doing? Great. Great, Nick. How was Christmas in your necks of the woods? Cold. Yes. <laughs> don't just nod this is this is an audio this is an audio we medium a, we had a 41 inch snow um i think it was right before christmas so it was awful it was horrible it was the worst i've been here for 20 years and hasn't snowed that much ever so we we, we were we well we went to bed expecting a 10 inch snow and we woke up with all the yeah, snow three feet yeah exactly so it was horrible we actually did, in fact, have a white Christmas. We went to sleep on Christmas Eve and woke up to snow and snowing. It snowed about an inch, so I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to even compare our experience to yours. But it was, it was yeah, about my kids' favorite thing snows, in the world. People don't know what to do. Like, they, yeah. You get like an inch. I remember I was from South Texas, so it snows like an inch, and you're like, oh, you can't go out on the roads and you know, get your big ski jackets and wear your huge, get the snowshoes out. That's right. <laughs> like snow pants. We have snow, snow pants. pants right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like 40, maybe 30. <laughs> oh, my funny. gosh. It's, we just have one service. We had we actually had to spread ours over about five different services, but it worked out well for our you know social distancing and, and whatnot. But it Except was, for um, exhaustion for you, right? Well, you know, I mean, this is what you, you train for this. Well, this Nick, is what we sign long. up for. Yeah, <laughs> That's you right. Know, we always, People keep apologizing. They're like, oh, you know, you're such a, so uh, selfless and sacrificial. And I was like, look, right. I mean, you know, I'd, I'd much rather this than if we had just one, you know, like we could right. socially distance one service with 18 people. It's like, yay. And, and I'm much more, I'm a different kind of tired after the like five hour finance committee meeting than I am after three or four yeah. worship services. In no, row. Three or four trade. worship services in a row is why we do this. We like to <laughs> do church. Yeah, you always got to keep your parishioners thinking you're really sacrificial. So you should say, yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh man, I'm so tired. <laughs> yeah, well, I just tell them I get exhausted because I'm used to only working one day a week. So I'm like, right. uh, one hour gotta a week. Go, yeah. I've got to go two days in a row. This is terrible. <laughs> it's like I'm really cutting into my golf, <laughs> which you can play uh, in, in December and January in South Carolina, just so you know, which is yeah, awesome. Yeah, I hate you. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Well, we're going to try something different this week, something new. We're going to try an end-of-the-year awards show. We've got a couple categories to go through here as we look back on 2020, but fair warning, we've never done this before, so we're not sure how many categories we're going to get to or how smoothly the conversation or transitions will be. We'll take this as it comes. Our plan is to each have a nominee in each category and sort of use the opportunity to discuss uh, what went on in 2020 as a whole. So let's get to it. Our first category is issue of the year. JD, what is your issue of 2020? Let's see. Um, uh, oh, I don't know. How about the virus? <laughs> maybe, maybe that. Fair enough. Although um, there's, there's the some other ones. I could nominate that. I think that might be um, uh, the issue. And, and all the things that go with sure, sure. masks 
in the vaccine and the mind mm -hmm. control and the psyop <laughs> and everything like that. So. Well, also the, the, the church chaos, right? Because you, yes. and the, I mean, I'm sure you guys have the same, uh, that was mine too, but more focused on the church because, you know, all year long we've had to deal with, okay, how far does obedience to the government go? That's one question is phrase. Is it really important that we meet <laughs> as, yeah. as the ecclesia? <laughs> That's another uh, thing. And then, you know, how does, how do we handle issues that are non-essential? I mean, if you have people in your church who are, who think that masking is essentially putting the seal of the, be of the beast on their on their mouth, yep. and those who think that if you don't mask, you don't love your neighbor. I mean, what do you do? How do you? So, so I think it's been a really hard year. There's nothing in seminary that's trained us for this kind of thing. How do how is navigating navigating all the conflicts in my at least in my parish? I'm not sure about yours. Well, and then we've seen it, 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 on top of all that, you know, the the weaponization of compassion because you know whoever holds the high ground on the most compassionate um, and the most thoughtful within a <laughs> Christian context in particular seems to have won the day. And so when we start arguing about how many people you are okay with killing, right. you know, you start losing that argument really fast. And I think that's been part of the difficulty with the entire conversation within the church is that there's been this sort of understanding or this this assumption that, well, of course, loving your neighbor means doing, um, going above and beyond um, what would be appropriate for anyone, much less a Christian, in order to to care for them, right? And so no one would disagree with that necessarily. Um, the problem is that the various, um, you know, ideas, studies, statistics, various doctors, you know, arguments, all of it's been so complicated on top of that, that they get to get a clear answer as to what actually is helpful um, has been elusive to put it to say the least, you know, so you have on one hand, we have doctors in my congregation who are saying what we're doing is uh, not loving your neighbor by curtailing herd immunity by, you know, wearing masks and things, you know, and on the one end of the spectrum, on the other end of the spectrum, you have people saying, how dare you step foot out of your house without a mask on because every time a bell rings, an angel in heaven um, falls uh, to hell and gets COVID, you know, and so it's like, um, I thought that was funny. <laughs> Charity laugh. <laughs> no, but, I mean, but see, that's the thing. I mean, how do you... It's too soon. Okay, it's too it, soon. It, yeah. it, <laughs> but biblically, there's no... This is there. There is no command either way, right? Yeah. So we have we're dealing with people on, on who who are literally hating each other on both sides of this issue, and this issue is never is not one that should ever divide the church. It so, is amazing. It is amazing yeah, how yeah. quickly the rancor uh, is and the animus is exposed when you know people get defensive when you imply that they don't care about people dying i mean most people do you know and so um when that begins the conversation then it's difficult to sort of <laughs> to get much further than that and and i think that's what's hard for people is that you have people who have thoughtful who are trying to read as much as they can, trying to make informed decisions, and yet at the same time try to stay sane and um, relatively uh, composed in the face of great uncertainty, who are, you know, we see them all the day, time now who are starting to kind of crack and finally say, like, enough of this. Like, I don't know what's what. I don't know what's right. And I feel for, you know, the entire conversation because the, for whatever reason, in the beginning, it was it was set up almost to be unbridgeable, uh, this divide. You know, you either um, agree and then therefore sort of submit to all of the various um, sort of you precautions. You get the mark of the beast. That's right. Well, or, or you or you don't. Or you show how, how as you said, you, 
you show shine your light how compassionate you are there's a church down the street from my house here which does happen to be an episcopal church that has one of those uh, changeable signboards that inevitably has something that somebody thought was funny but actually isn't funny written on it and for months it has had on it thou shalt not covid thy neighbor's life wear thy mask this is their announcement to the world which is ridiculous but but, but, okay but i all we up here like the like the the moral onus is on the other side like there are the the conservatives up here are so virulently upset with anyone wearing a mask that if you do you're you've 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 betrayed your faith Hmm. you're you're like you're in the babylonian plane and the music has started and you are you are you're going face in the dirt before the golden idol and neither one of those is true. It's, it's yeah. neither one of those is true. It's, it's not true that if you wear a mask, you're an idolater, and it's not true that if you don't wear a mask, you hate your neighbor. Yeah. It's 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 all. It's well, maybe in individual cases it might be true, but it's in general that's not the case. And so again, it's Adi Alfred. This is not something yeah. that should ever divide the church. We should have Christians in charity saying, "Look, I hear you being upset by." The, the, the possibility of, of getting this disease. So I'm totally okay with you wearing a mask. You wanted me wearing a mask when I come into your store or whatever. That's fine. And then on the other side, the person, I understand you feel like your freedom is being taken away. So look, I'm not going to like, I'm going to do everything I can to keep you from having to wear a mask when you don't want to. There should be like a, there should be like a, a, a mutual self-sacrifice and love, but that's not happening. It has not, it's not happening anywhere. Well, and I think part of the problem from the beginning has been, you know, the mortality rate was at least, uh, well, thank goodness it was inflated, whether it was knowing or not, I mean, I'm assuming I'm giving the benefit of the doubt, it was that we don't know, you know, but here's the worst case scenario, so let's operate there, that, you know, I remember the day where I was driving back when I was kind of, oh, this will pass over pretty soon, and then they said something like, you know, two million dead by April or something, and and I was like, okay, well, that's, that's quite something different and I told Liza I was like I don't think I'm going to the gym tonight we're gonna get some water and some food um, just in case and then you know it turns out thank God it wasn't nearly as bad as they had predicted and so then you had this still this sort of this psycho sort of psychological kind of shock factor that everyone had gone through um, that you would have hoped then could have been pulled back from. But instead it was, you know, it was almost like the war of attrition. You know, once you get too far in, you've already spent so much that you can't turn back. You know, it's more painful to go back than it is to go forward. And it's almost, it seems like there were so many people that had made so many sacrifices already that to admit somehow that perhaps some of it had been over inflated or, or maybe thank God it wasn't as bad as we thought it was, was, seemed to be a bridge too far for many in leadership at the very least. And then you have this reaction to that where you have people saying, you know, it's safe enough to go into Costco or Harris Teeter, you know, or, or Walmart. And yet, you know, you shut my business down. My gym can't work, you know, my church can't open and, and what gives, you know, so it's been super, I mean, I agree with you, Matt, like to, to say that there's, there's been a precedent for this, um, I mean, there is no precedent for this because you you lay on top of it the pandemic, which of course there is precedent for. But then you have this incredible surveillance uh, apparatus that we have the the uh, that we're all implicated in, you know, Facebook and Twitter and things. And then on top of that, you have you know this sort of twenty four hour news cycle with a current COVID deaths you know yeah, ticker you going. 
And so, you know, it's been, um, I, I have to say at the very least, I'm proud, I should say, or at least I'm grateful or thankful that, um, that the church, at least the church I'm a part of, and of course, talking with you guys, I'm kind of watching the people that I respect and have, have take comfort in uh, or from have managed and handled this as well as I think any other public um, institution, for lack of a better word. I mean, like the, the most of the clergy I know are not, you know, having nervous breakdowns or at least, or at least are, are navigating this with their congregations and all of the headaches that come with it in, in a faithful and sort of measured way. And I'm grateful for that because, you know, you could not to point out other institutions, but you see how some people in leadership or in other areas of responsibility have responded um, very erratically if not alarmist with alarmist tendencies. And I'm grateful that it turns out um, our fear of death is in fact tempered <laughs> by the promise of the gospel. You know, I mean, not that we want to get it or we want to give it to anyone, but the idea of, um, of it is not, does not send us into abject terror. And that's, that's been, you know, a good, I mean, that's been a, a good revelation, I think for many um, in the midst of all this. Well, you guys both uh, totally steamrolled me with your nominees and just went on ahead and had a, a great conversation. My Matt's chomping on a cigar over there. I mean, it's yeah. truly, truly end of the year party style at Good Shepherd. Yeah. <laughs> did, you see the, did you see the Babylon Bee? It's like man spends yeah. last two days living in abject filth and utter <laughs> depravity before changing his life on Completely January 1st. <laughs> Well, listen, I wondered if you guys wanted to at least spend 10 seconds talking about my nominee for issue of the year, which is uh, Black Lives Matter specifically and critical theory in general, yeah. which I think are a couple words. I had, I think I had heard of Black Lives Matter before 2020, but I don't think I'd ever heard the words critical theory before this year. Mm -hmm. And now it seems like everything I'm reading and hearing is having to be filtered through these words. Matt is now actively smoking that cigar. This is, this is amazing. I love that we're doing this. And Jay's got a Gothic cathedral as his background. We're, we're no, really off Ely. the rails here. It's Ely Cathedral. <laughs> Thank you very much. But anyway, that's the, that's the overriding thing that I've found that has that was not part of my thinking at all before this year and is now really overwhelming me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that I think had COVID not hit um, would be my nominee as well, because but it's still going on. I mean, so it, underlies, it underlies everything. It fed into the COVID scare with the lockdowns where the protesters were not told to socially distance, but everyone else was because, Hey, the, you know, it's black lives matter. So, in the riots in the early part of the year, but uh, that also has like massive, you know, church dividing yes. effect. Where even in the ACNA, you have you have a number of people who have redefined our, our, our classical understandings of what racism is, of what um, sin is, sin is, and what redemption is, and and kind of and, and and redefine them in such a way that they tend to be more social rather than spiritual. Yes, uh, your, you know, your salvation represents some kind of political solution to our political problems, um, rather than the fact that we're all sinners and need someone to save our souls and our <laughs> and our bodies from death. Um, so and it's things a that are true of groups primarily, not yeah. primarily of individuals. You being part of a group yeah. necessarily, depending on what group it is, either either redeems you or 
or means you're condemned. So yeah, it's it. Well, I mean, I've written this before, but uh, critical race theory, as or, or theories, critical race theories, just presents a completely different worldview, uh, yeah. an antithetical worldview to the Christian faith. It's not like you know. Uh, Christians in the third century, fourth century might have been able to borrow from Platonism and say, okay, well, there, because there was some correspondence between Platonism and Christianity, both Platonism had some, some correspondence with our, with the Christian revelation of truth. There's none within CRT. It's just a completely counterfeit, a counterfeit system offering a different anthropology, a different soteriology, a different uh, understanding of who human beings are and, and how we're saved. So um, the, the inroads it's making into the church are scary. It's really frightening. Well, and I think what's frightening about that, and I agree with you totally, uh, Matt, is that it, it, that it's particularly with the ACNA, like it, I feel like having been an Episcopalian for 20 years of my life, um, that we of all people should have been better prepared to, to see this coming, to start listening, hearing the language, uh, because we've been involved in this for a lot longer. I mean, I, I told Nick and I took, you know, what's now called, um, do they call it anti-racist training now? Remember they we, gotta be. They, we they called, to. we took it 15 years ago yeah. or, or eight, yeah, 17 too. years ago. Um, and I remember times. leaving, yeah. And I remember leaving that uh, training, having told the man, you know, thank you for making us all more aware of how divided we are and how unable we will be able to able to uh, speak to each other. You know, thank you. Um, but we've been talking about horizontal, socially defined, non-transcendental sin in the Episcopal church for, for decades now. And so I think, you know, I would say that critical race theory as a discipline, I wasn't, um, you know, that's been a relatively new term. I didn't study it, um, haven't been uh, up until this year. But in terms of the concepts, you know, as you pointed out, Matt, like the redefinition of sin, like the entirely horizontal understanding of offense and absolution, as it were, uh, we've been we've been dealing with that for for as long as I've been an adult in the sort of mainline church. And so I was surprised that there were so many people in the ACNA who just unthinkingly, like with like reflexively just jumped on immediately to all of this language, not the sentiments to a certain degree and not the necessarily ideas, but to just immediately adopt the language. You know, that was so frightening for me. It was like I went into a cult meeting, yeah. you know, it's like all of a sudden like phrases that I, that I'd never heard before everyone started saying, you know, like thing like, like be better, you know, do the work, do the work um, yeah. you know, and started like showing up everywhere on Facebook and Twitter. And then people start talking to me, um, you know, saying, well, but you know, we started to talk about, um, you know, the, um, the systemic racism and, you know, the, the founding of the country was, was broken and all of this stuff was just, it, it just crashed like a tsunami. And I, I, um, you know, I think that we had been prepared to a certain degree, um, but but nothing to the level at which it was just like a like a switch flipped, you know. And I think that I think that uh, part of the problem in the church, and we saw this, is that that if you weren't prepared, you hadn't seen sort of thought worked it out like like some of us 
had, even to a certain degree. Then again, like going back to the compassion mob, like as soon as you were, the implication was somehow you were being hateful, racist, or bigoted in any way. Well, people run from those accusations, you know, fast. And whether they know what they're running from or not, like they're such big and scary and shame-inducing accusations that that you found people who, who you know, upon further reflection were the least racist people that you may have known, you know, coming out and saying, well, uh, you know, I just realized that everything I do is tinged by, uh, you know, racism at every level. You're like, well, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, tell me what you mean. Like, well, I'm not really sure, but I know I, I know I'm supposed to say it. And by saying it, I get people off my back. And so I'm going to keep doing it. And I think I think that's been hard for me um, to watch. And I think that there's going to be a, you know, there's going to be a continued conversation about this, obviously. But I think that one of the reactions to all of this is that the actual concept of racism has been been shaken, if not sort of redefined to a point where it's it's almost unrecognizable. You know, when, when Ibram Kendi can start talking about how racism can exist irrespective of the color of your skin based upon sort of ideas you have about, um, well, various uh, rights and wrongs, you know, then you're like, well, I don't oh, know exactly what him, you're it's... talking about, but it doesn't seem like you're talking about racism anymore. Like you're talking about something else, you know, and, and, and that's been the difficulty for me is that if everything's racist, then nothing's racist. <laughs> and so, you know, what else? So what are we going to call someone now, you know, when they actually are being racist? Who, oh, yeah, is, for him. who is, is engaging in what we all agree is a terrible sin. We have to be able to identify it. That's right. That's right. But, but you know, the problem is like the Ibram Kendi book, what it's actually coming down to is a sort of nihilistic rejection of, well, we'd say hierarchies or uh, value judgments, uh, moral value judgments, period. Because once you begin to say something like, you know, XYZ behavior or cultural behavior, you know, standard is right over against yours or a certain other, you know, culture, which is wrong, then you've entered into racist territory, according to Ibram. And so you've got, you know, the Western values, for instance, you know, that prioritize monogamy and, you know, male-female marriage and look down on, (laughs) yeah, critical thinking. Well, all of these are considered to be racist. They're racist things now. And you say, you know, logic is a racist thing. Um, I mean, I just read yesterday that there's a school district, maybe in New York, maybe in Boston, that's getting rid of the Odyssey. Like, you can't read Homer anymore because he's uh, white, you know, or at least Western, you know. And it, it is part of, you know, between the Bible and the Iliad and the Odyssey, like, those essentially are the three pillars. I read of that article, Western and it's just that he's from a time when those things were normalized. So anything from like 70 years ago or more is by definition, no matter who wrote it, suffused with those those ideas that we cannot subject our children to. That's amazing. Oh, that, that's, that's the eradication of, of history, basically. Everything starts in 1990. So, wow. I mean, even then, I mean, it was uh, probably still some infected thought then, so you'd have to probably start it back in you know, 2010, maybe. Um, wow. Yeah, it's just it's amazing. It's, it's it's very uh, it's very Orwellian. 
Well, he knew what was going on. I mean, he was a socialist, yeah. like, and he or he he had been. And you know, there's if you read the Road to Wigan Pier, there's like a um, there's a preface by like the I forget like the president of the UK Socialist Society that essentially apologizes for it. He's like, you know, we're this book is this book is is not very um, it doesn't paint a very rosy picture. I mean, I'm paraphrasing of socialism, but we're still gonna we're still gonna let you read it. But don't be afraid, we're still socialists now. <laughs> but you know, it's fascinating that you mentioned Orwell because I've been listening. I highly recommend this uh, teaching company class called uh, The American Mind by a professor named Gelzo. I forget his first name, but it's like 20 hours and I'm 15 hours into it or whatever. But um, And it basically just begins with the Puritan arrival to the U.S. and talks about kind of the the, the ongoing battle between sort of Puritanism, you know, sort of religious Puritanism and kind of a libertarian sort of free will um well, libertarianism in America, there's just this battle goes back and forth. And it was really funny the way he described uh, the Puritans arriving. He's like, and what must have been, what must have only looked like an army of professors and priests arrived off the shores of New Hampshire, you know, in like the 1600s or whatever. But he, but interesting enough about socialism is he talks about the, the mass migrations from Europe to the U.S., the 1848 Germans, and then you had the later 19th century, and then obviously after World War one and two, and you had most of the intellectuals that came over, many of them, in fact, were socialists. And part of the socialist mindset, particularly with respect to history, you know, as we see, or, or with, within Marxism in particular, was this idea that, you know, it was a, it was a construct that could be, could be rewritten and, and retooled for the sake of, you know, the, the, the glorious future ahead. And this is exactly what we're seeing take place. I mean, from the 1619 project through to the getting rid of, of the statuary even, you know, I mean, offensive or, un- or non-offensive statues that we're trying to, we're raising an entire generation of kids who are, you know, unaware of the past, who have been, have been sort of removed from any, you know, direct confrontation with ideas they don't like. And then we're masking them and scaring the heck out of them on top of all that. And it's like, what you know this isn't a recipe for for um health and uh, wholeness um so you know on that hand it looks kind of bleak and dark but on the other hand you know again back to the church i think that the reaction to this um from the segment of kind of you know god designed um whole the peace that the world does not have communities of of believers is going to be that much more attractive in the future going forward because you know, whatever else COVID and all the critical race theory and everything has done, whatever else it's done, it has certainly clarified things within the church and given us a, um, I think, I think it's, I mean, I think for, for better or worse, I mean, you've got people that probably won't, will never come back to your church. I mean, not yours necessarily, or that church anymore because of they're on a different side of whatever these issues are. But I think there's still some clarity even in that. I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I'm, I mean, I, I noticed, from the beginning of, of the social justice movement in, well, okay, it's, I, using that term is loaded, but from the beginning of the kind of woke movement in, in evangelicalism and even in the ACNA, I mean, it kind of it joined hands with the, with the uh, church growth movement in the sense that we need to jump onto this wave right now. So we see that our culture is going in this woke direction. So we can't be against that. We need to echo that language. This is the right side of history argument. Yeah, we need to be, yeah, exactly. We need the right side of history. And so, and so top evangelicals start mouthing the woke, the woke verbiage and, and the attempt to, to, uh, to side themselves with the culture so that people don't write us off. 
And in that, within the ACNA, that division's right there. You have a division between the ACNA with some who are of that kind of church growth culture. Yes. And, and so they're bringing that in. And I've heard people say where we are, we, we need to, we need to become known as a church of compassion. Um, and by that, they mean, you know, quote unquote, wokeness. Um, so that we're not written off because people already see us as with, with look at us askance because of our view on, on sexuality. So we That's have right. to really embrace this kind of yeah. leftward move socially so that people so will see us as a really compassionate church. Yeah, I think that's exactly what's happened. I mean, I think that the people who said, you know, they had been tired about any conference speak at any or get published by any of the, the real academic publishers because they were so backwards and fundamentalists on human sexuality. Well, now they can end over backwards and double down on being as 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 compassionate as possible and as racist as possible. You know, like, I mean, they can. Um, right. And and that has allowed for some access to sort of areas of quote unquote elite culture that uh, they wouldn't have otherwise gotten. Um, and I think that's heady and it's um, and it's intoxicating um, and it's misguided in my opinion, because I think if, you know, if you are being celebrated by, um, by people who otherwise are um, sort of opponents of the gospel, in every single area. I mean, most namely, like they reject the concept of sin and the need for redemption, you know, um, but you're being celebrated by those very people. You should, you should question what exactly do they hear you saying, you know, because, you know, if you walk into a room, it's like I say all the time, you walk into a room and say, God is love. Like most people are like, well, sure. It, they, yeah, yeah. he is like, and of course, if there is one, he loves me, you know, it loves me, <laughs> but come in and say how God is love that he laid down his life for sinners like you, you know, and you in particular, he actually actually listed specific things that you seem to be embodying that um uh and you know duck you know and i think that's where um i've been surprised like I've, i'm involved in a variety of sort of broad evangelical um organizations and it's it's not just an acna you know there's a there's a lot of um kind of broadly evangelical people who have um who are uh, believe the Bible but are embarrassed by it, um, you know, in order to defend it or to articulate it or certainly to preach from it. And so now that there's this opportunity to sort of get in good graces with people, uh, despite the fact that let's not, you know, yes, we have a different agreement, a difference on, on, um, sexuality but let's not talk about that let's talk about what we agree with well you know i'm it, it's 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 not i, I say it's, it's unsurprising a lot but anyway it's unsurprising <laughs> jd's that, never surprised um, well i think it makes sense let's put it that way it makes sense that eventually you you know when you when you you stop articulating the sort of the edges that you had um then they begin to blur you know, they begin, just like Chesterton says about the white fence, you know, you can't, a white fence, you don't paint it once, you have to paint it every week, you know, or else it gets, it's not white anymore, you know, and the fact that, you know, particularly in the ACNA, so point people all the time, like the, the whole reason we, we broke with the Episcopal Church uh, was around human sexuality and the authority of scripture, which happens to also be in our constitutions with respect to abortion. So like, if those are issues that you are unclear about in your teaching, preaching, or, or um, you know, personal uh, convictions, well then, you know, that's on you and your sort of oath and sta status before God. That's not on me and that's not on our church being quote unquote divisive. Like that's, we actually have divided. <laughs> and those right. are the reasons why. But and then, and then look at the look at the the wing of the ACNA that has adopted, most adopted the, the kind of woke worldview, and you you already begin to see a little bleeding when it comes to the sexuality issue. Um, Hannah King earlier this year published that article about how why can't we just get along with with Episcopalians 
do mutual ministry between ACNA and the NTC. Uh, yeah, the sexuality issue is something we disagree about, but it's not something that should divide us. She she argued for in that in that in that paper, and then another very prominent um, ACNA uh, priest who actually is, was I'm not sure if he still is the canon of the ordinary of a very important diocese in our in our church. Um, you know, starts liking Pride Pride Day posts on Facebook. So it's, it's and he's very very woke. So you have these kind of bleed overs where you see these very prominent people beginning suddenly to, to weaken or, or, or chip away at our stand on sexuality because the two things are connected. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you, you, you go woke socially and, and, the, and the paradigms of that worldview are going to ultimately bleed into your understanding of, of, of sexuality. Yes. Yeah. Well, we've spent like 35 or 40 minutes on this first category here. Uh, we can either have a two-hour podcast or we can sort of do something else. But um, we, we had talked about a second category being our most surprising turn of events. And I'm going to do mine first because you guys, as I said before, steamrolled me last time. But I won't, <laughs> I'm not the talker among the three of us, so I won't go for too long. But for me, the most surprising thing, and I think that this probably honestly started before 2020, but it's been brought into all the sharper relief for me this year. The fight that has started to happen between traditional feminists and trans activists who are thought of on the same side of the debate culturally. They're all part of, I guess, the alphabet, LGBTQ and so on. Although I guess there's no women on that side, although they are thought of as on the same side. And there's trans women. Well, there's trans women. There there are people with uteruses, please. But this is the thing. (laughs) This is the thing because traditional feminists cannot in good conscience, accept a trans woman right. as a woman. A feminist who has fought for generations, or what? well, one particular one hasn't, but a generation of feminists looks at Bruce Jenner, a gold medal winning man, you know, lying on, the, on a couch on the cover of Vanity Fair with long hair and a long white dress and bright red lipstick and says, this is supposed to be a woman now? Right. And not only a woman, but like the best example of a woman? This, this, are you kidding me? And so yeah. these, these two things are starting to come um, at loggerheads. And I don't know how it's going to work out, if it's going to be part of the thing that brings all of this house of cards tumbling down. I mean, obviously we could hope for that. Um, but, it's a, but it's been a surprising thing to find these, these two ideologies that are at least thought of on the same side starting to consume each other. Yeah. Well, I think James Lindsley in his cynical theories points this out the most, uh, or at least it's, it's been the most compelling argument or at least description of this phenomenon that you're talking about of it eating itself. Uh, because he, what he says is that this just inherently, it's so inherently unstable that, you know, the, the end result, as we see in history to unstable sort of ideologies is that they do collapse, you know, and the only problem is, is that the, the time that they take to collapse can often be very destructive, you know, and that's what I worry about because the, this, this is this idea that um, you can simply just by fiat to to decide your, your gender and then, um, and then force everyone around you to, to not only um, agree with you, but to pretend that, you know, a man that, uh, that, 
six months ago was a man uh, training as a man with testosterone who now is a woman and maybe has a little bit diminished testosterone who's now, you know, in mixed martial arts with women, like, you know, smash, literally smashing other women's uh, or women's skulls because of the difference in size and body weight. And we're supposed to, to sort of sit back and applaud and say nothing to see here. Like, I just think that that, that, is, an, that is an insanity that cannot um, be sustained. And yet it is being perpetuated and, you know, in many places has the force of law at the moment. Um, and it seems to be for the foreseeable future, we're at least going to have to wonder whether or not, you know, our daughters are going to have to uh, play contact um, lacrosse with, with boys, you know, um, when they're in high school or if they're going to, um, or if, or if a, a biological woman will ever win, you know, another Olympic uh, medal for the next 20 years. I mean, who knows, you know, I mean, this is, um, this is what we're going to have to contend with. But I think that at the end of the day, like we go back to, again, to the, to the question about, the fears around COVID, the questions about um, what's truly racist or not racist or what sin really is or isn't, that the light of Christian witness in the midst of all this, um, the sanity that God has actually uh, ordained his church to embody to a certain degree um, is going to be more and more attractive to people, I think, as they, particularly the people who sadly will have been sort of brought up in this, well, insanity, and then at some point they will go looking for for some salvation, some hope, I believe. You know, it's like the kids who, who grow up in foster care or something, like finally get a glimpse of, of, a, of a family, a loving family, and, and it changes their lives. You know, and I think this is what's gonna have, we have a whole generation, we already have a generation of the divorce culture who have, um, you know, who are, are sort of reacting to that in good and bad ways. Um, and this whole culture of sort of the um, define yourself, autopoiesis, you know, self-creation culture is going to have an equal reaction to that. And I think that's where we're going to be to, to pick them up and to, mm -hmm. to, you know, and to offer some hope and redemption. You know, I mean, as you can't run too far away, you know, if we have people that are regretting their surgeries, you know, coming into our churches five, 10 years mm -hmm. from now, like trying to, to say, what do I do now that I've, you know, I, I had mutilated my, my body and, and I regret it. And, and is there any hope for someone like me? It's like, well, of course there is, you know. And, um, and I think that's outside of all this sort of cultural confusion is for me, if I had to say a, a, a bright spot of all this year has been the clarity and the comfort of the, of the Bible and the, the gospel in the midst of all this has been, has been the most, um, as clear as I've ever experienced it in my life. You know, I mean, the, the, the fact that God has, has not only said, but has spoken to the actual cares and concerns that everyone is all fired up and confused about right now has been, has been, um, an amazingly um, sort of devotional yeah. Yeah, reassurance in my life in a way that I, you know, I don't know, you know, it's like, I, it's like, I've certainly believed the Bible and trusted God's word uh, this time last year, but I'd have to say that I do more um, and with, with less, you know, hesitation or reservation than I ever have in my life. And that's, you know, if it took COVID and race, you know, protests, peaceful race protests and transgenderism to, um, to bring that about, well, then so be it, <laughs> you know, that's how it. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think evil overreaches. It always comes to a point where it just, it takes too much. And, and then when that happens, eyes are opened. And I, and yeah. I think with, um, on my list of things that were strange this year was the, the, um, the trans women 
charging men who aren't going to date them with bigotry. Right? So, <laughs> so, so if you, if you're if you're a man and and you don't want to date, you have to a clarify man, now. You're a cisgender hetero. Man. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. You're 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 a straight. Yes. Patriarchal, heteronormative, yeah, yeah, yeah. cisgender, heteronormative. And, and you see a, and you see a, another man, Kabo and he immediately has that guy for a date. You're, you're just a bigot. What's wrong with you? You're a hater. Um, that's an overstretch. I mean, everybody, nobody, you know, I mean, you can coerce people to say the right words through some kind of social force, but, but everybody knows that's absurd. And so, and so it's, you, the, what the, the, that movement is built on right now is, is this massive lie that everybody knows is a lie. Yeah. And all it's going to take is, is some chip in the wall of coercion to, to make it all collapse. Yeah. So I agree with you. I think it's, a two, it's, 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 not gonna, it's not sustainable at this point. But I think for me, I agree with you. And I think that it's, it's a perpetuation of something that I've wrestled with a long time. Because I always wondered, um, you know, for, for decades now, like what was the deal behind such like back when it was just about the a gay straight alliance, right? Remember back before we had the whole community, you know, it was all about gays and lesbians. And then it was, you know, there was like, well, it was genetic or it wasn't a choice and all of these fights. And so I was always of the mindset, I was like, well, if it is genetic, then, you know, there are a lot of genes that have, uh, that give us predispositions to sinful behaviors. And so that's not going to really change my, um, you know, it doesn't change the Bible in any way. But what will be interesting is it will be illegal to abort that baby in the future. That was always my thought, like 15 years ago, like if they could find a genetic test, like you can, you can abort for any reason, blue eyes, you know, too short, too fat, too thin, but you'll be unable to do it. So I was like, that's sort of the train wreck I saw coming. Or, or at least I was thinking, but I always was wondering, like, what was it about the culture at large that people cared so much about, you know, and it was this, this care about the, the rights of um, the Gay Straight Alliance by my non-Christian, not gay friends. There was just sort of all excited about it. And yet at the same time, you had the ascendancy of the sort of the pornography culture and sort of the sexual permissiveness. And it was that, that if we can get to a place where that's okay, you know, then God really hasn't said anything at all about anything else. And I think that's what we're looking at with the transgenderism thing is that most people are unaffected directly by this at this point. You know, I mean, most people are at least it's, it's at least one or two degrees separated. Maybe you see someone at a library, you see someone, but it's, you know, in their own families, it's not as prevalent as, as gay straight Alliance was. But at the same time, if you can get, if you can get people to say this, and not even blink. If you can make people um, look at, uh, there's a there's a woman or man who is identifies as a woman who's a professor at College of Charleston down here, who is like a professional cyclist and is like destroying every record, you know, like by like minutes on every. Um, and actually, I hope apparently he's he's very. Um, uh, well, he's obviously really fit and he's, I don't want to get into an argument with him, but at the same time, um, you know, if you can, if we can, if, if they can make us say that, that that's fine, well then God hasn't said anything about anything, whether it's sexual or otherwise. And I think that's really the underlying spiritual reality behind all of this is that the eradication of God's voice from the public sphere requires something like a lie did God really say, you know, he doesn't have your best interest at heart. He hasn't really said. And, and I think that's, that's what we're going to have to keep coming back to because it's not, you know, the, the problem is there are real people involved in these questions. And as a pastor, you know, you want to say, well, if, if someone like we have people in our congregation who are, have children that are struggling with these areas and it's, um, 
it's heartbreaking, you know, and there's a lot of money, there's a lot of uh, time and energy, a lot of uh, tears spent uh, helping people walk through this, this particular brokenness. So I don't want to make light of it, but at the same time, there's two fronts here. There's the personal practical um, pastoral side, but then there's also the fundamental theological sort of division going on. And I think that's where, you know, when we look at how is this being perpetuated and why, well, then we see, as Paul said, as our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against, you know, princes, spirits and princes, principalities of the air. And I think, you know, to be prayerful about God um, continuing to um, open the eyes of people to, to hear him speak into these areas um, is going to be important work for the church going forward to, to combat this, this otherwise, um, you know, just blatant false, you know, this, 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 this lie that we're being forced to, to embrace. It's the same, you're right, it's the same impetus behind the pride parades. I mean, what, what's, the, what's the point of the pride parades? It's so that we can flaunt our sin, and I think the people involved in it know it, know deep down inside there's something there's, that's wrong, but if we can get everyone to celebrate it, we can dissolve to our conscience. We can, we can, we can, we can stuff the guilt down, we can stuff the, the sense of our, of our own um, sin down further covered over with with the celebratory cheers of the people on the side of the uh, of the road same thing this is why the pharisees were upset with jesus because they had constructed their tradition of the elders to conceal their guilt they could they could do these practices um they could they could tie their mint and cumin and they could do all the all the external things and they could shove down any sense of the law striking and piercing the heart and jesus comes along and says no you're all sinners and you're going to hell you you repent and turn to me um so it's just it's this kind of desire to cover up human sin with a fig leaf that we see throughout the ages. And yep. so, yeah, pride parades, uh, tradition of the elders, um, you know, you, may, you, you have to date somebody, even if he has an Adam's apple and you're a man, you have to call the prison a woman, all the same thing. It's all attempt to cover yeah. up human depravity so we don't have to repent and turn to Jesus. Yeah. And I think that's a great point, Matt. And I think, you know, that's where we have some, you know, we have some perspective, uh, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, the, the human propensity for self-deception um, and sinful, willful blindness is, has, is part of, I mean, that was Adam and Eve. I mean, that's, that's what we have inherited. And so the fact that it's taking these forms, it makes perfect sense. And I think that, you know, it's, it's unfortunate and it's always the case that children bear the sins of the father, you know, and we see that the, um, you know, that these children that are socially being basically experimented on in all these various ways, whether it's through edu new education forms or the, you know, puberty blockers. I mean, I read one radical um, transgender rights person on face on Twitter that, that was advocating, I don't know how serious it was, that all children should be given puberty blockers until they have decided to uh, make their decision about whether to be a man or a woman across the board. You know, it's like, well, that's, that's an argument, you know, and like we're not, let's back away uh, from that. But, um, and I think that's, that's the logical, where, that's the logical end of that argument. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And then you saw like, you know, you saw the, I don't know if you saw the videos of, you know, Argentina just legalized abortion, which was the first Latin American country. And there's these videos, you know, it's again, like we talked about the weeping and gnashing of teeth um, when Kavanaugh hearings of these like thousands of women in the streets, like crying and, and celebrating and, and um, having this enormous um, outpouring of emotion because now they have the right to terminate the life of a baby. I mean, you're sitting there saying, I mean, come Lord Jesus, you know, Lord have mercy. And so I think that's where, you know, at the end of the day, 
the good that's coming from all this is that you know we've used the analogy before it's like a like a brush fire you know or like or like the the wind and the waves or the the, the rain coming down in the parable of the sower right i mean the, the the rain comes down and washes away the the low um uh roots you know the sun comes and scorches the one that are not but those who had deep roots you know have remained fast uh, steadfast and i think again not that it's, it's a judgment on people that have been washed away necessarily but all of these things have burned through the church and really clarified on on all sorts of things like where's your hope lie where's your argumentation like why are you coming up with the ideas you're coming up with like are they based in scripture are they based in tradition and reason you know as we do as anglicans or is they just the latest talking point from whatever um you know twitter follower you're you're following and and all of these things have forced in my my opinion you know the necessity for pastors to 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 the extent that they were caught flat-footed to double down on their own study, you know, prayerful study, not just of the Bible, obviously of the Bible, but um, of the culture and of, you know, philosophy and theology and all these things, because the interconnectedness of all this has been um, really, I think, surprising to people. You know, how does, what's the connection between the LGBTQ community, COVID fears, and sort of the new definition of racism like they're all interconnected um and yet that requires some thought and requires some 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 reflection and i think that going forward you know pastors who somehow say well that's an unconcerned that's that's not something that concerns us because we're in you know mount pleasant you know or like we're in you know we're baptists or like that would never happen here um well this year has has revealed that that is happening everywhere and i think that it's um it's uh, it's just going to be a little bit more difficult going forward to ignore some of these um, things in the in the life of every church, no matter how supposedly protected you are. On the other hand, it's going to allow for us, as I keep saying, to be more and more um, actually a part of the public witness of the church. You know, I think that's what's that's what's exciting for me is it, it's going to be impossible for you to hold on to. Uh, anything that was traditionally a Christian understanding of just about anything um, in any public way without being put in the crosshairs, or at least the, I want to say crosshairs, but at least put in, a, in an argument, in a, in, a, in a defensive posture, you should say. And so we'll be ready with, as Peter says, with a ready defense for the hope that we have. You know, this is why we believe. This is why we believe. It's not that we're, we're walking around condemning people, uh, but as Jesus said, the world's already condemned. We're actually offering the only hope the world, a condemned world, um, has ever known. And that's the good news of, of the gospel of forgiveness in his son. Amen. I think we sort of have to call it a day or the end of the day, as J.D. said, although I do want to just say, lest you be misunderstood, um, that it's not just tradition and reason that Anglicans use. It's tradition and reason under the authority of Scripture, which I know that you meant but um, just to clarify that the order of things in, in Anglican tradition, tradition and reason are subject to Scripture. I pretty much find all divine, but all divine, holy, holy uh, Scripture. I'm just kidding. Cut that out. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, this has been um, an interesting, wide-ranging conversation. I wanted to do an end-of-the-year wrap-up just so I could read this Huffington Post headline from September, uh, which we did not get to, which we will talk about on this podcast at some point if it kills me to do so the death of justice ruth bader ginsburg pushed me to join the satanic temple best headline of the year we will talk about that because it's an amazing story that must be talked about 
I think we should also at some point go back and look at some of the prophecies for 2020. Oh yeah. And we're getting like in January, like this is going to be your breakthrough and That'd be good. this is going to be your year and health, wealth, prosperity. We should look at some of those. <laughs> but as we end 2020 and uh, go into 2021, I hope that you listeners will pray for the three of us, for our churches, um, Christ Church in Mount Pleasant, Church of the Good Shepherd in Bethinghamton, Christ Anglican in Louisville um, for us as we continue to preach and teach and administer the sacraments we have enjoyed these conversations so far we will continue them um but we have reached i think the time allotted to us today i <laughs> hope you'll be in touch with us rate and review the pod on itunes you can email us at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com we are grateful that you've spent this time with us today thanks to matt kennedy and to jd coke i'm nick lannon we'll be back next year until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Oh, 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 oh,